the year was 1519. I trust none of us were there. The great Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez had led a group of 600 men to conquer southern Mexico. Upon arrival, Cortez did something rather strange. He took the 11 ships on which they had traveled, and he began having them scuttled and sunk one by one until only one ship remained. When his men found out what he had done, obviously they were pretty upset. And they come to Cortez complaining, asking him, what in the world are you doing? Cortez says, only cowards need to rely upon the ships. We are here to conquer this land. We need no more ships. He then said to his men, if anyone here is cowardly enough and wants to go back home, let him board the last ship and he can leave. The response from his men, roaring cheers. Cortez rethought his strategy, sunk the last ship before anybody could get on it. By that single action, what Cortez was doing was he was guaranteeing that either they were going to succeed in their expedition or they were going to die trying. They had to move forward because there was nothing to go back to. For all practical purposes, where we stand at today in, in, in our life and really where we stand at today in the timing of this year, there's only moving forward because there's nothing to go back to. This is a time for most people, a time of reflection. We look back over the past year and we think about what we've done, we think about where we've been, we think about perhaps the influence that we've had over others. And if you're like me, you look back and you think, man, I wish I could have done this differently, or man, I wish I would have said this, or I wish I wouldn't have done this. But at this point, there is no going back. We can't undo any action. We can't unsay any words. We can only strive to move forward, both in our physical life and most importantly in our spiritual life and in our spiritual service unto God. Have we thought about what we're going to make of the coming year? Have we thought about as we move forward into this new chapter in our life, what are we going to make of it in specifically in our service to God? I am the new year. I am an unspoiled page in your book of time. I am your next chance at the art of living. I am your opportunity to practice what you have learned during the last 12 months of life. All that you have sought the past year and failed to find is hidden in me. I am waiting for you to search it out again and with more determination. All the good that you tried to do for others and didn't achieve last year is mine to grant, providing you have fewer selfish and conflicting desires. In me lies the potential of all that you dreamed about but didn't dare to do. All that you hoped for but didn't perform. All that you prayed about but did not yet experience. These dreams slumber lightly waiting to be awakened excuse me, waiting, awakened by the touch of an enduring purpose. I am the new year. As we stand here on the brink of coming into this next year, what are we planning for ourselves and our spiritual service to God? What are we hoping to accomplish as we come into this next year? Have we even begun to think about it?
I hope we have. And I hope that perhaps this morning we can encourage each other and we can think about perhaps some other things that we need to do this next year. Putting aside the failures of this previous year and putting aside the things that we've done and looking forward to what can we accomplish for the Lord as we enter into a new page in our lives. You know, as you read through the pages of the Bible, so oftentimes you find that God encourages success. He wants us to be successful in our life and in our service unto Him. And so we need to, we need to, to take time and to plan and to think about, what can I do? What can I do better? What can I do more of? What can I begin to do that I have not done in the previous month? You know, it's interesting. Each year we come to this particular time that the Lord has granted us, and we stand in a very similar situation to that of the children of Israel. You remember the children of Israel, as they came up out of the land of Egypt, Moses led them out of Egypt, led them down to Sinai, and gave them the ten, or, or God gave them the Ten Commandments. They went up, and what did they do? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. My high school class better be able to tell you about this. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and then they went up, and Moses died, and the leadership was passed on to Joshua. You remember, they came up on the eastern side of the land. And right before they crossed over the Jordan, going into this new land that they had never seen before, that they had never experienced, Joshua gives the people a message. And God instructs the people to do a very specific thing. I want you to listen to what God tells them to do, and I think there's a, there's a great parallel between where they stood and where we stand right now. Joshua rose early in the morning. He and all the sons of Israel, they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And at the end of three days, the officers went throughout the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of your God, with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have never passed this way before. You see, to these children of Israel who were about to cross over into the land of Canaan, up until this point, what had it been? It had been a dream. It had been something they had been longing for. Their, their, their parents could not go in because of their unfaithfulness. Ever since they came out of Egypt, they had been talking about the promised land, the promised land, the promised land. But who, who among them had seen it? Joshua and Caleb had seen it. The couple of spies that Joshua sent over to Jericho, they were going to see it, but the people for themselves, they had not seen this land. So where were they going to go? How were they going to conquer it? Which way were they going to, to take? What were they instructed to do? Keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Because what did the Ark of the Covenant represent to them? It represented God's presence. Because what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded, showing God's miraculous power. The bowl of manna, which represented God's, God's provision for the people. The tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written, representing God's Word to the people. That Ark represented God. And what, did, what were they instructed to do? Keep your eyes on God. Because you don't know where you're going. But God will lead you where you need to be. How many of us, how many of us have seen 2008? How many of us know what's coming? How many of us know what 
the next year hold? We don't. We have never passed this way before. So what's the only thing that we can do? We can try and, and trudge the path for ourselves. We can try and determine what we're going to do, or we can keep our eyes upon God. And we can allow God to show us the way. We can allow God to be the one to instruct us and to lead us down the path that will be pleasing to Him, that will be most beneficial for us in our service to God. The time that we have here on this earth is so brief. You remember in the book of James, what James talks about and how quickly he talks about that this life passes away from us? And he talks about the fact that so many times we make plans and we think that we're going to do such and such, but yet what, what do we have to remember? That our time is God's time. In James chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. See, I really ought to put a disclaimer on my sermon. I, ought to, I need to stop right here and say, I'm talking about this next year and the things that we're going to do in it, but you know what? We're not even guaranteed this next year. I'm assuming that as we made it through 2007 that the Lord is going to bless us to go through 2008. He may not. But if He does, if He allows us to stay on this earth for yet another year, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to make of it? How are we going to pass through this uncharted territory that lays before us. You know, a lot of people have a fear of the unknown. They're scared of what's out there. They're afraid to think about, well, I don't know what's coming. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what's going to happen next. I read something interesting the other day. In the 15th century, when, uh, when mariners were setting out and they, they, were, they were drawing the maps of the world or of the known world at that point in time, especially those off the shores of Europe and, uh, and of Africa, each map had a very similar feature. And, and that feature was this. <clears throat> it would come to a certain point in the Atlantic Ocean, and there would be basically a stopping point because no ship or no sailor had gone beyond that certain point. And what the maps would read would, beyond those points, it would read, here be dragons, here be demons, here be death. Because no one had ever gone that way before. They, it was unknown territory. And so to them, what did, it, what did it hold? It didn't hold promise. It didn't hold a, you know, future. It held death. Well, if you think about for, for us, the future can be intimidating. The future can be a little bit fearful. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's going to happen. But at the same time, what we have laid before us is a blank page. What we have open before us, it, it, it's a blank page in an open book. And we are the ones who are going to write the story of that book. This can be an exciting time for us. This can be an, an invigorating time. Because it's almost like we get a fresh start each year. But if we continue to do the same thing over and over and over, and we're not growing any, we're not becoming more useful to God and His kingdom, Perhaps are we wasting the pages of the book? 
I think what we need to do is we need to encourage ourselves, no matter how young and no matter how old we may be, that we take advantage of the time that God is giving us to become more of what He wants us to be. That we strive to be more like Christ in our everyday lives. Our time here on earth is is quickly fleeting. And Moses encouraged us, and he encouraged the children of Israel to number their days. To take advantage of the time that God has given us, whether long or short it may be. In the 90th Psalm, Moses records a prayer unto God. Glorifying God, a, a, prayer, a, a prayer of praise unto God, and a prayer that, in, that asks God to encourage us to number our days. Begin with reading with me if you, if you would like in Psalm, in Psalm 90, beginning in verse 1. Moses writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back into dust and you say, return, children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and it withers away. For you have, consumed, for you have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath you have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sign. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a part of wisdom. What's the point that he's making there? Our life is so quick. Our life is so fleeting. We only have such a short time to be here on this earth. We should number our days to use our time as wisely and as fruitfully for the Lord as we can. I know we could, we could all stop and we could all talk about how quickly we see life passing by. I promise you. I stand here before you today and I promise you, Emma was born yesterday. But in January, she's going to be four. And I'm sure you could tell me the same thing about your kids and about your grandkids. And you can think and you can say, where have the last five years gone? Well, what have we done with the last five years in our service to God? What have we done to be fruitful and useful to the Lord in His kingdom? Where are we going? Now, we can't look back anymore. There's nothing in the past that we can go and undo. So let's look forward and let's think about where are we going? What am I going to do? Maybe back here I didn't do everything that I should. Maybe back here I wasn't as diligent as I needed to be in the work of the Lord. Maybe back here I could have done more. We're done talking about back here because we can't go back. Let's talk about moving forward. Where are we going? What are we going to go and do? We don't have much time left. So what are we going to do going forward in this next year if God grants it to us? You know, if you ask the ship captain where he's going, 
In one sentence, he's going to be able to tell you. He's going to say, here's where I'm going. Here's, here's the, the path that I'm going. Here's the wind. Here's the waves. Here's where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going. He's got a plan. He's got a route. He knows what he's going to do. If he doesn't, why is he the captain of the ship? Same thing is true with the pilots. He knows where he's going. He knows the destination. How would you feel if you were, if you were sitting on a plane and you'd been, you'd been on the plane for maybe two or three hours and all of a sudden you, you, you hear that bonging sound over, over the, the intercom and they come over and they say, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, we would just like to let you know, no need for alarm, but for the past three hours we've been flying with no aid of, of satellite or navigation or radio. For, for all practical purposes, we're lost. But on the bright side, if you would like to know, we're making excellent time getting where we're going. Doesn't make you feel any better, does it? Why? Because there's no path, there's no there's no strategy, there's no goal on where you're going. You're just simply flying about, and you're going to wind up where? Nowhere. Well, what about our spiritual life? What are our goals? What are our purposes? What are we hoping to achieve? A person without goals is going to a person without goals goes nowhere. We have to have something in place. We have to think about. What do I want to be? Where do I want to go? What can I do better? Now let's get a little, let's get personal. Let's get personal with it. Let's talk about it. How many of us have spent some time thinking about the fact that, you know what, I'm, I, in, this, in this next year, Lord willing that he, get, he grants it to me, I'm going to be a better Bible student. How many of us have spent time thinking about, I'm going to be a better Bible student? I can't tell you how much I appreciate our elders here and the fact that they, that they decided that as a congregation we're going we're gonna to read through the New Testament together and Edwin's going to direct lessons for us. I can't tell you how great that's going to be and how glad I am we're doing that. But above and beyond that, what have we determined in ourselves that we are going to do to make ourselves a better Bible student? How many hours a day have we decided we're going to, or hours a week rather, are we going to spend reading our Bible? How much time each day are we going to spend concentrating on the Word of God. Have we thought about it? Have we set a goal for ourselves on, on, how, on how much time we're going to spend making ourselves a better husband or a better wife? Husbands, I know if you're like me that, you, that, that we all have the same thing that we can work on. How many of us husbands have said, have said I'm going to spend more time this year trying to be an understanding husband? I'm going to dwell with my wife in understanding. How much time have we decided that we're going to, or have we decided in ourselves, I'm going to do that better this year than I have before? Or why? How have we decided, have you talked about or have you thought about how you're going to support your husband and how you're going to be the type of godly wife that is talked about in the pages of the New Testament? How you can do that better? How about have we, have we stopped and we talked about and we thought about how we're going to be better parents to our children? Or better examples to our grandchildren? That we're going to spend we're going to spend less time watching TV and more time reading reading the Bible to them, or we're going to spend less time on on the computer. We're going to spend more time with them working on their Bible lesson. How about this one? How many of us have decided and set the goal and, and talked to ourselves about the fact that this coming year I'm going to be a better evangelist? Wait a minute. We got Edwin. Yeah. But we've also got you, and we've got me. Have we, have we asked ourselves and have we thought about the fact that, you know what, I've got a neighbor that I need to talk to. 
that I haven't talked to them about the gospel in months. I talked to them about baseball, and I talked to them about football and our children and our lawns and the weather, and I talked to them about everything else, and I have not spoken to them about the gospel. I'm going to talk to them about the gospel. And I've got a family member. I've got a brother or a sister or a niece or a nephew or a son or a daughter or a mother or a father that I have not talked to them about the gospel, and I'm going to do that. You see, we make New Year's resolutions, don't we, about, about losing weight and about being more compassionate, about being more patient and all these other kind of things. What about these spiritual goals, these spiritual, these spiritual goals that we need to try and attain in the coming year? Have we even thought about it? Have we even considered what we can do better in our service to God? Again, we're only here for a short time. Our service to God is so vitally important to everything that we do. How can we use the time wisely? What can we do to make ourselves better as we serve the Lord? Again, I realize not everything is within our control. There are only a few, few things that really we can control. A lot of the other things all around us, we're simply here and we, have to, we sometimes have to endure and react to them. But you know what I can control? I can control my thoughts. I can control my actions. I can control my words. I can control where I am, when I'm there, and who I am there with. Incidentally, I can also control where I'm not. For example, assemblies with, with the saints. This is an exciting time of, of our lives. It's always an exciting time because you're coming to the end of the year, and as a kid, when you came to this time, what were you always looking forward to? Presents. By the way, I still look forward to that after all. But what else do we look forward to? We look forward to this new page that's coming. And as, as we get to the close of our lesson, I want, to, I want to share with you three examples, just real quick. Three quick examples of, of people who journeyed into unknown areas, who traveled, into, who traveled down paths they had never been down before. And they were successful, all because of the same reason. Let me share with you these three examples, and then the lesson will be yours for, for this morning. There was a man who, 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 chartered into un, who went into uncharted territory. He did something for which people probably ridiculed him. They did something for which people probably looked at him and said, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? That's got to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for salvation for his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is in accordance with faith. Had anyone ever seen it rain for 40 days? Had a flood ever come to destroy the earth? For that matter, had anybody ever built an ark that big? But Noah ventured into that uncharted area, not because he knew what was there, but because he trusted in God. How about another guy who had probably a pretty good life, 
lived in a probably pretty good area. And one day decided, you know what? We got to go. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeying God, or obeying by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You talk about going into uncharted territory. Abraham didn't know where he was going. God told him, I need you to get up and I need you to go and I'll, I'll tell you where you're going. I'll lead you there. Abraham said, okay, let's go. Then there was another one. One more example that I'll give to you of someone who did something amazing. He led thousands and became a man of faith. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasure of men, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What do Noah and Abraham and Moses, what do they all have in common? They all have faith. They all saw that God had a plan for them and God had something to do for them to do. And what did they, what did they do? They up and they went. They followed after God's example. They followed after God's lead. They put their faith and their trust in God. Two thousand some odd years later, we still tell, tell their story. What can we do better? Can we study our Bible more? Can we talk to others more about the gospel? Can we spend more time in prayer? Can we be more diligent in our, in our attendance to the worship service? Can we be more diligent in, in helping our brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, there are so many things that we can look at and we can determine, you know what? This is an area where I can grow. This is an area where I can do more. But Here's the thing that we all know about New Year's resolutions. What happens to them so many times? If we make just a New Year's resolution, what happens? After the New Year wears off, what happens to the resolution? It wears off too. You see, this can't, this can't be a quote-unquote New Year's resolution. This has to be a life-changing decision. Because this is the most important thing that we will ever do our service unto God and our devotion and our work for Him. 